Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Christopher Marcos first made his name capturing New York's music scene in the 1970s as glam rock and punk brought a visual kick to the city. Now, that scene led him to a long friendship and collaboration with Andy Warhol and to a body of work that's been exhibited everywhere from the Guggenheim to the Whitney. Christopher is in Australia to display his work as part of the Art Gallery of South Australia's exhibition, Andy Warhol and Photography, a Social Media. But first, he's my guest on RN Drive. Welcome to you, Christopher. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me on your talk show, which I'm sure, like in Los Angeles, Everybody listens to you guys while they're driving home from work. Is that the way it is here? Pretty much, except uh, after the pandemic, most people are commuting between rooms in their houses rather than driving. Um, I do want to ask you about, it feels to me like Warhol would have been a quick study on social media. What's your perspective there? It, It certainly changed the way we look at photos and ourselves, but is that necessarily a good thing? Uh, You know, uh, Andy was the original Kim Kardashian. You know, he was the first version of that. If you've seen any of my photographs or photographs of him, he was he always had a camera and usually a tape recorder. So he was somewhere between a journalist and a social uh, and the influencer. So he would have felt very comfortable here. I'm sure so many people that are social medias influencers today, he would have been their sort of guru in many ways. He was a person that, you know, if you know his work and his career, his work was all about multiples, doing things in a multiple way, whether it was the Campbell Soup Box or Marilyn Monroe, he, he was about multiples. So for him, this would have been a wonderful time because everything seems to be about multiples. How many friends can you have on Instagram? How many times can you show a certain picture? I mean, it was all about multiples and it was all all about the idea of, you know, uh, Warhol's place that he did things was the factory, but really uh, Instagram could be called the factory because there are so many people showing off something that they can do or might want to do. And it, it brings great satisfaction to some people and for the people that produce content on these things like TikTok, Facebook, or Instagram, you know, they're, they're doing something that before you'd have to go to a space or be part of a group, or you'd have to go to some kind of, you know, Shriners Club or uh, some space, or you'd have, you'd have to go play bingo at a hall if you wanted to be with other people that had like thoughts. In today's world, you can still do that, but you do it through your phone, through your laptop, all these ways. So really, ultimately, to answer your question, this would have been his age for sure. Yeah, it's humbling to think about the bingo hall, a lot less filth and (laughs) hate and violence in an old-fashioned bingo hall compared to today's internet. What about yourself? What attracted you to photography as your form of art? Because certainly photography in your generation became mainstream. What was your first brush with it? My first brush with it really was I, I was painting, writing poetry, playing electronic music 
And the persons that I were hanging around with, they said, well, why don't you just try this? I'll give you a birth for your birthday. A friend bought a camera for me. And a camera was so terrific because it was so immediate, you know, uh, you didn't need a lot of things. You just need some film in the camera and you could go out and you could take pictures of buildings or people or places or objects. And it was just facile. It was, it wasn't, it didn't require a lot of things. It, it just required you, the camera and a subject matter. And also you, took the pictures, got them developed, and then you could deal with them right away. And so I found that to be so interesting. And that's how I started. And then some of my very first pictures were published by Jan Wenner, who had just started Rolling Stone magazine. And he had a section called um, some kind of art section. And some of my very first pictures were pictures of like the first one was... Um, this older lady and a young guy lying in bed, which at that time seemed quite controversial. And so Jan published that. And so I always remind people about whatever their career is or what they're starting to do. It always starts one step at a time. And then by the end of a month, you've done 30 steps and something happens after those 30 steps. And then the next month you've got 60 steps. And and if you're diligent and you're loving what you do, you will end up at a place where all that walking that you've taken will bring you to that place that's so satisfying, whether it's being a painter or a photographer or a journalist or a writer or a filmmaker. What was the scene like in New York in the 1970s and 80s? I mean, it feels to me, being of a younger generation, like there isn't anything like that sort of Studio 54 scene these days. Did you feel like you had a sort of easy collaboration and closeness that just comes from hanging out in those sort of spaces? Well, uh, that period was really the zenith of American popular culture. And that was the confluence of all of the disciplines of music, art, fashion, poetry, dance. All of these things were going on at once. And so basically a place like Studio 54 was the ultimate clubhouse where all those disciplines ended up and everybody met everybody and everybody could talk to everybody. Everybody could just be around each other. You know, one of the reasons why a lot of New Yorkers love to be in New York because early on in the turn of the last century when Olmsted built Central Park, Central Park was built so that all the different people in New York City could meet. The rich people that lived on Fifth Avenue, the people on Lower East, everybody went to Central Park and it was a great levelizing. All kinds of people met. And so that tradition has, has gone on to this day. And in the case of Studio 54, it was very much like that. You didn't necessarily have to have a lot of money to get into Studio 54. You just had to have that something special, that something clicked about you that the doormen saw. So you had all walks of life in Studio 54. It's very much like I'm hoping at, at a couple of these openings tonight that we have all walks of life at our opening because that would that would really make me happy to have, you know, a white man, a black man, a transgender woman, a drag queen mixed up. I mean, that that's what 
if if they want to make this exhibition very Warholian, that's the kind of people you need to have here. Andy and Halston and Calvin Klein and Donna Karen and all the, you know, Patty Smith, Robert Maplethorpe, the Talking Heads, uh, Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith, all of the creative class in the city. This is what we like to be in a room because that kind of energy is not singularly one thing. It, it becomes many, many things. And you could you could feel the energy in a room like that. And so many visitors from outside of New York, that's why they still continue to go back because that energy still is in the room, if you know what I mean. It's still there. On our end drive, if you've just tuned in, I'm joined by the photographer Christopher Marcos. And many of your subjects have been your friends, Christopher. So you, you obviously have a certain natural intimacy around each other to begin with. But how does that change when there's not that initial personal relationship, when it's more or less just work? Do, do you have to put in the work to establish the intimacy or does that come through the process? Uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Where, where, yeah, like how, where does the work start and the intimacy ends? Yeah. You know, so, some of the changes come if these are portrait commissions that are paid by somebody. So as we all know, money changes everything. And so in this case... I was doing so many different portraits of like, you know, Keith Haring, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Andy, Debbie Harry, a little bit of Madonna. And so I knew these people and, you know, some of them, you fucked with them. Some of them you didn't. I mean, it was just really wonderfully odd, free, free for all spirit in town. I mean, I remember one night, there was a blackout in Manhattan and Debbie Harry just happened to be in my apartment. And there we were sitting with a candle waiting for the electricity to come back on. And so this sort of sense of intimacy and sort of like when you, when you share things like that and then, and I'll say, Oh, Debbie, you need, we need to do a new portrait of you. She says, great. And then we just set up the apartment, uh, set up the portrait. So it was all very, um, in today's world, I mean, you're in the media world yourself, you know, oftentimes if you want to interview somebody um, and it's a really well-known person, you have to go through their agents or through a manager. And actually, by the time you get to the person, you're almost exhausted from the experience of going through all the go-betweens. That is so and, true. That uh, is so true. I can I can honestly say the most disappointing interviews I've done are ones where there's been a huge amount of expectation and gatekeepers to get there in the first place because the intimacy is then presumed and and assumed and it that just doesn't feel authentic is that the same when you're taking a photograph yeah i mean i i don't get that anymore because of my particular stature in life and my my brand and who i am if the minute i sense a lot of nonsense like that I'm not interested anymore. It just doesn't interest me because my, what what I do in my conversations that I have with people while we're doing photographs is all about who that person is and who am I. Even if it's a famous person, whether it's Lady Gaga or uh, different people, I, I work a lot with the stylist Nicola Fomanchetti. And if people come to the table with attitude you know sometimes it's 
The most famous people are the most charming ones. The ones that haven't really made it yet are the ones that are the most difficult ones, I find. And I try to stay away from those, you know. So. Yeah, the people with something to prove. I spoke to the Australian photographer Robert Rosen last year, and he said uh, that one of his tricks to getting a good shot was to dress well and act like you belonged. What have been the kind of big lessons that you've learned for getting the photos that you want in how you present yourself, I suppose, is more what I mean rather than technical uh, kind of details, how you present yourself to the talent or to their friends even, your, your, your body language, what are those things you think about? Well, my thing is I try to become fast friends really fast. Uh, you can't see me, but I like to dress well when I take a picture because it makes them feel at ease. You know, if everybody dresses well, you know, then you can start to take their clothes off easily because you're already there. You know what I mean? If you're taking a picture of a very sexy person and often you know that they're at, they want to be taken in sexy, um, as long as you're there and you're dressed well. And my whole thing is, I honestly believe I have become a therapist, a psychiatrist, because so much of my work is making people feel good. I mean, you know, you if, if you take a bad picture of a person, that picture is frozen forever. And that sort of self-worth that a person may have can be so disappointing if they see that picture and they look at it because, you know, we are all animated. We move our face to the left or the right or up and down. And, you, you know, in a still photograph, you don't have that or see that. And so I pretty much make them calm, discuss things. I mean, one of my biggest... Uh, shoots where that this rule was applying when I uh, are now deceased Elizabeth, Dame Elizabeth Taylor, but I photographed her um, at Malcolm Forbes home in France in Normandy at Chateau Balleroy. And um, I thought, well, she's an enormous movie star. What am I going to do? And she was wearing a Zandra Rose dress and the, the um, hairstylist had picked little baby flowers from the ground. But she was keeping me waiting a long time. And I kept telling the handlers, get her out here. Get her out here. We're going to, yeah. And so she finally came. And she was the, the sweetest little charming, scared actress you've ever seen. And, and I started thinking, uh, I looked at her and I remember all of her men that she dated, all of the directors, the director, were strong men. And once I knew to be strong with her, she was just a little puppy in my hands, and I got the greatest pictures ever of her. So, you know, you the, the photographer needs to take charge and knows what, has to know when to take charge. And that that's a good story. And as I remind the people here at the museum, they have a stunning photograph by Warhol of Henry Kissinger kissing um, Elizabeth Taylor, and it's her birthday right now, so they should post that on their Instagram. <laughs> so, Christopher, amongst the chateaus and dames and movie stars and high-end stylists, as I look through your photos on your site, I can't help but notice the collection of dogs this strikes me as a, a kind of the antithesis of that world that you've occupied. What makes 
man's best friend a good subject? I suppose the never come in with ego would be one thing. Uh, well, because all of these famous people have dogs. They are they are sort of their alter ego. I mean, I don't know about here in Australia, but in America, I mean, couples break up over dogs. Uh, if the dogs become too friendly with one of the partners, the other partner can get quite jealous. I mean, animals have a really big place in metropolitan cities because there's there's a lot of single men and a lot of single gals, and they find a lot of solace in animals. And so I have a lot of pictures of dogs because they're just sweet creatures, and um, I have fun photographing them. And I photographed them, and I, I did a book called Equipose about horses, which was so much fun, too, because, you know, um, if you look at Instagram or TikTok, and you look at animals, like the way animals deal with us and the way that they deal with each other, they're all, they're very, they're very close to us as far as how we, they deal with each other and they deal with us. So they're always a good subject matter for me. Well, Christopher, it's wonderful to have you in Australia. Wonderful to get the chance to find out more about your career. I've loved your stories and thanks so much for being my guest. Absolutely. And hopefully you can come to the exhibition and hopefully your viewers know your listeners will come here and see part of New York and American history from the 70s to the 80s. You'll be quite moved, I'm sure. Christopher Marcos has been my guest on RN Drive, Andy Warhol and photography. A social media is on at the Art Gallery of South Australia from the 3rd of March, where Christopher will also be appearing in conversation. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.